Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at That's Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. You can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside. Repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. I've seen the ups, the downs, the bad news, China banning it over and over. I've seen Mount Gox shut down. I've seen a lot of stuff. So I'm very patient, very patient, man. And Bitcoin helps. Bitcoin, before Bitcoin was created, you could do everything sovereign. You could have your own food, you could have your own water supply, you could do all that, but where would your money come from? It would always come from there. Bitcoin has, has sort of opened Pandora's box for freedom, so to say. Hello, I'm Coindesk reporter Lee Quinn, here with Isaiah Jackson, author of Bitcoin in Black America and co-founder of KRBE Digital Assets Group. Thanks for joining us today, Isaiah. Oh, thank you for having me, Lee. Glad to be here. Can you start us off by telling us a little bit about how you first learned about Bitcoin and what inspired your tumble down the rabbit hole? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I'm glad you described it that way because it was definitely a tumble down the rabbit hole. But I discovered Bitcoin in 2013. Oddly enough, it came from a friend who worked for a bank. He kind of mentioned it just in passing. And I was teaching a high school engineering class at the time. So I sort of got the tech and I got the reason for it. I do want to shout out Max Kaiser. He was the first video I ever saw of anybody discuss Bitcoin. Very convincing. So I went for it since 2013, and it's been a great seven years ever since, all the way to now where I've written a book about it. So glad to be in the space. And when I first started, it was definitely the Wild West, and it's good to see Bitcoin picking up as we go long term. Wow, seven years. I can't even imagine all the cycles you've seen. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, it's interesting. I love seeing the media their takes on how the price is going and how things in the industry are going. And I feel like I've seen all of this at least two or three times already. So I just tell people, just hold and calm down. It's, <laughs> it's, all, it's all good. Yeah, I feel you there. I used to get so nervous with the volatility and now I'm like, oh, it's just up or down a few thousand dollars. Who cares? Yeah, exactly. It's just a normal Tuesday in Bitcoin land. <laughs> so I know that this February is Black History Month mm -hmm. and I was thinking about how race impacts our perception of and also the way that we experience things related to Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. How do you think that black pre-corners have an experience that's different than mine was as a pale-skinned Jewish girl? For the first step, you have to have thought process that leans towards the financial and the tech world. Bitcoin sort of takes the hardest parts of tech and the hardest parts of finances, puts them together, and you're asking a community of people who are progressing in both very quickly but are not there yet in the numbers that we would like to see to accept a new technology completely. So it is sort of hard to get that going. However, 
once you get into the why of Bitcoin, it is very uh, interesting to see. When you talk about the what and then the how, it, it takes some time. When you talk about the why and how economically we've been shut out from the centralized banking system, uh, it's very easy to convince a lot of black people that we need a solution to sort of the problems we've seen before. Yeah, there was Coinbase, I think, that did a survey released just earlier this month saying that college-educated Black Americans were twice as likely as their white peers to be interested in cryptocurrency because 48% of them had had negative experiences with financial institutions. And I believe that number is actually higher as far as having negative experiences. Some people just don't realize that there are negative experiences with maybe their mothers and fathers and grandfathers that may have put them in the position they are today. So Yes, I think that's great from Coinbase. Uh, shout out to them. They actually have my book in their Coinbase store. That's in Portland. awesome. So, <laughs> yeah, so uh, I'm glad I could be a little bit of inspiration, I'm sure, for that to come out. Glad to see that from them, and I'm not surprised by those numbers. Yeah, when we talk about marginalized users, we usually think about Venezuela or Iran. And I think a lot of people forget that people of color in this country still experience widespread discrimination. I was trying to think about different circumstances that might relate to and looking up some studies, and I was just blown away. New America came out with a report in 2018 showing some banks still favor higher fees for black clients. They give them higher mortgage rates. They might require black people to have higher balances or do more paperwork for the same kinds of accounts. And then the National Bureau of Economic Research found just last year that black mortgage borrowers were charged higher interest rates than white borrowers and were often denied mortgages that would have been approved for white applicants. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And in my book, Bitcoin and Black America, I have an entire chapter based on exactly what banks have done in the Black community. Unfortunately, it's something that has been targeting poor communities, which, of course, the Black community has started that way simply because economically, when you start a little bit further back, you have to get to a certain point where you can, in essence, catch up. But that's sort of hard when you have banks who do things such as redlining. They don't allow you to move to certain areas. Just this week, I was driving on the highway on 85, and I realized they built the highway directly through a lot of the prosperous black neighborhoods of the 60s. And that killed a lot of real estate for a lot of black people lowered their property value. So it's something that is a concerted effort that has taken a lot of wealth out of our community. But I think Bitcoin is the opposite. I think it has the ability to bring wealth to the community, but not only that, gives us the opportunity to have leverage. In any negotiations, you have to have leverage. So if we're going to be a community that's prosperous long term and we're going to, you know, sort of grow economically, we have to have some sort of leverage. And I think this is a great way. What does self-sovereign currency mean to you? What's the importance of being your own bank? Historically, we've seen that banks cannot be trusted, black or not. That, that has nothing to do with race. Banks, yeah. in my opinion. <laughs> <laughs> and that is, that is one thing I do want to point out about my book, anybody listening. Most of the solutions in this book can be applied across the board to different communities. I just wanted to focus on my immediate community, but I think it's crazy how our community has progressed so fast, but Bitcoin hasn't picked up with us because of the ability for us to tell banks, hey, if you're going to keep treating us this way, we're going to move to a totally different financial system. I think that is the phrase that needs to be at the forefront of a lot of our discussions. A lot of the social justice stuff is good. A lot of the marches, those are all fine. In my mind, we should be focusing on the economics, get to the root of the problem. We can kill two birds with one stone. If we are active in the Bitcoin community, I think that'll help Bitcoin succeed because it needs to be diverse in order to be mainstream. You can't have a mainstream currency and it's not diverse. We're going to need to be a part of this industry anyway, so why not? 
Yeah. And I really want to echo what you were saying about how your book applies to a wide variety of communities. I felt like there were so many things that I related to, although I'm definitely not a part of that particular community. And the way that you were using words like culture and community also really spoke to me. I think when people talk about Bitcoin, there's some people who say, oh, there's no Bitcoin culture because Bitcoin is for everybody. And to the contrary, it's my opinion that there are many Bitcoin cultures precisely because Bitcoin is for everybody. And we're familiar with the idea of like identities within identities, like you have the Jewish community and then within it, you might have an Orthodox community and within it, you might have a reform community. When you think about your experiences from the Black community, where there's also a wide range of identities within that, what do you think about what Bitcoin culture is and if there's any comparisons there? I want to make sure people realize that the Black community is not a monolithic group. <laughs> it's not all one way of thinking. Very diverse way of thinking, very different uh, colors, shades, thought processes, cultures, all of that. But what Bitcoin allows any group to do culturally is to use it as an economic foundation for the future, like I said before, leverage, also a plan B, so to say. And, and because Bitcoin has been the best store of value the last decade, if a few people had listened to me earlier, it could have brought enough wealth to the community where you don't have to ask the people who are making the laws to give you money in forms of reparations or in forms of some sort of laws. Those things people have been asking for years. I've seen my grandparents, my parents asking and pushing. I'm tired of seeing that. And, and in my opinion, we have to go economic in order to change that. So I think that is the focus of where we should be at, at this point. Yeah. So what I hear you saying basically over and over is education is the way to be independent. You can learn the tools yourself thanks to Bitcoin. And self-sovereignty, like you said before, uh, is something that is needed in any community to be able to be sovereign. But without Bitcoin, before Bitcoin was created, you could do everything sovereign. You could have your own food, you could have your own water supply, you could do all that. But where would your money come from? It would always come from there. And Bitcoin has, has sort of opened Pandora's box for freedom, so to say. It's been seven years. It still blows my mind. Uh, what have you learned since you first learned about Bitcoin and started getting involved with the cryptocurrency space, both about money and about yourself? About money, uh, one thing I've learned is that most people have no idea what it is and uh, that most people uh, do not have the fundamentals necessary to go forward without learning about Bitcoin. Because when you learn about Bitcoin, you learn about the history of money. You start to get into physics, you start to get into all type of different avenues. And I think that helps people learn a lot about our money system. So I've learned that a lot of people didn't know about money. And now I'm daily trying to help people learn about that. And also about myself, what I learned was that over time, I am a very patient person. I used to think I was impatient, but with Bitcoin and cryptocurrency market, there is no such thing. You have to be patient because all great things take time. And in the crypto market, it is a grind. I've seen the ups, the downs, the bad news, China banning it over and over. I've seen Mount Gox shut down. I've seen a lot of stuff. So I'm very patient, very patient, man. And Bitcoin helps. That's the hardest part for me. The hardest part of being a Bitcoiner is being patient. And some people think patience is a year, two years. I mean, no, no, no. Patience is being able to look and say, hey, 10 years from now or five years from now, 15 years from now is what I'm thinking about. And most people... Once they get that perspective, Bitcoin makes a lot more sense. What are the main conduits that you use to engage with the Bitcoin community at large? Are you into Bitcoin Twitter? Do you use Reddit or um, Bitcoin Talk? Like, What are your favorite social media portals? 
My favorite social media portal is definitely Twitter because it's up to date. You can get alerts on prices. You can follow a lot of the big crypto people and talk to them, you know, back and forth like everyday people. I love the fact that on Twitter as well, sometimes I have no clue what the price of Bitcoin is for like days at a time. But you look at Twitter and you can see based on like five or six tweets what's happening. People are going crazy or people are sad because, of price, you know, whatever. So I love that about Twitter. But I do also love uh, YouTube where I have the show The Gentleman of Crypto. We do daily. I interact with people from all around the world who view the show. We're on episode 544. Been doing that almost three years now. So that has been a way to, to reach out to people daily and bring people to news. And of course, we use Coindesk a lot as well. So thank you all for bringing news as well. So <laughs> that, those have been my best ways to engage. So I think some people see online communities like Bitcoin Twitter as dominated by alt-right or really aggressively conservative folks. Have you ever experienced racism in those online spaces? And if so, how do you deal with that? I haven't experienced racism as far as directly in my face, because I think most people who are racist are mostly scared. Most most are cowards. They won't say it in your face. <laughs> A lot of Twitter fingers or typers. I have seen that. One thing I do want to point out is in different cultures, like in Europe and also too in some Asian cultures, they're not privy to the black experience in America. So to them, it's not really a big deal. However, I have seen, of course, the N-word thrown around. I've seen some people who are big in the space use that word or, or talk about black people in a certain way. And, you know, to me, it doesn't bother me. It's, I mean, honestly, if you need to do that, then I've already won. Because Bitcoin is so open, there's nothing you can say to keep me out of this market, me or my comrades. Uh, it doesn't bother me at all. I have seen it, but nah, it's not a big deal. Not to me. It's, uh, it's a waste of time. I'm really glad to hear that. Maybe Bitcoin Twitter has a scary reputation, but it's actually not as bad as a lot of people think. And a lot of times it's just about muting or blocking a few bad actors. It's For the most part, people seem to be pretty welcoming and helpful. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I mean, it also helps, too, that I'm at a lot of conferences. So people have the opportunity to see me in person. So if they would say that stuff in person, I would you know, express that. But I haven't seen it. Everybody's been pretty nice you know, online as well, except for the, the couple bad apples. So, so far, we've been talking a lot about the history of money and lingering aspects of discrimination. What do you think about the future of money? If we lived in a country where transactions were digitally monitored by banks in the state, do you think that would have a ramification for minorities and make Bitcoin more important? Or do you think that that would help in terms of the discrimination that banking now involves? Bitcoin is just the start. And I think if banks basically can have oversight like they have now, we're just recreating the system we have and just digitally. I think that it is interesting to see the DeFi, decentralized finance market, emerge. I think last week they announced they had over a, mil a billion dollars in total value locked. So I think that is like a good uh, next step for the black community simply because the oversight that comes from the same banks that have messed us over is governed by smart contracts, exchanges, the ability to exchange tokens that way. Also, I think in the broader Bitcoin market, when we have financial products where you don't have to rely on the dollar the euro, the whatever, any type of fiat currency, that will bode well for Black Americans because it'll encourage group economics, the ability to create an economy within your own community without the outside. And I think we've seen this in Amsterdam. They have uh, whole streets that accept Bitcoin. Malta, we've seen places that accept Bitcoin. So it is very possible. That is the goal, I think, for a lot of Black Americans. Yeah. I hadn't even thought about the local demand for DeFi products and services. Do you have a favorite project beyond Bitcoin? Like maybe you really like Ethereum projects or you like 
uh, Zcash or something? And why are you interested in those other projects? Bitcoin is, is the greatest thing probably to happen to my life as far as professionally. And uh, what I wanted to look for in the future was what would last long term. And the one project I found that would do that is Metronome. It's ERC-20 token built on Ethereum. I actually joined the team as a community manager simply because I think they have a good project that is the world's first autonomous cryptocurrency. So nothing can actually stop the smart contracts from working long term. If you have sort of a digital fade like Milton Friedman used to discuss, I think that bodes well for the broader DeFi market, like we just said. So we've been really moving across the board, across history and all different kinds of topics today. Is there anything else that you think you wanted to leave the audience with that I haven't asked you about specifically that's important for us to ponder for the rest of the month? I do want to say that one of the comparisons that I made and the reason why I wrote the book really is that a lot of the media that has shined a light on Black Americans has been negative. And in my community, we know a lot of times that is incorrect. I just want people to realize that a lot of the media does the same thing with Bitcoin. Anything that threatens the status quo or tries to change the way things are is going to get some negative light depending on who delivers the news. So I want anybody listening to realize that, yes, that comparison is there. And I think long term, it won't affect either community, Black or Bitcoin community. So you mean the negative stigmas that are associated with Bitcoin, that's something that kind of naturally happens to anything that's taboo or subversive and that you think that will reduce over time? Even if it isn't immediate enough, it won't affect us over time. It's just kind of rolling off our back. Like if you see news now and it's like black people are criminals, black people do this, people watch it now, it's like, nah, that's that's just not true. You know, it's just sort of media hype. And since we realize that, a lot of people in my community, Bitcoin is the same thing. They say, hey, it's for criminals, it's for illicit activities. It's dangerous, it's that. And you realize Bitcoin is actually much greater than that. So just the comparison there is something I want to leave you with. Thank you so much for joining us today. I really learned a lot from this conversation. Once again, this is reporter Lee Quinn. Make sure to stay tuned for more podcasts every week. And for more interviews and insights, check out coindesk.com. Take care, everybody.